0: Hello and welcome to Bites of History with Irene Walton. I'm your host, Irene Walton. Have you ever wondered how it made it to your table? Have you ever wondered how it made it to your shelf? If you love food, then this is the show for you. Bites of History with Irene. Welcome back to our first ever two-parter. Oh my goodness. There's going to be so many more of these, I promise. Well, I hope you like them, in which case there will be more. Um, but there's going to be so many more, but this is our first one ever. So it's very exciting. Our flagship part two, and it's all about the ins and outs and conspiracies and science and economics of grocery stores. I hope you guys learned a lot from the podcast last week. I learned so much researching it and sharing it with you. So please, please, please let me know what other kind of part twos you want after you listen to this one, because I think you're gonna be pleasantly surprised. Let's pop right in. Let's just thank our sources one more time. I'll do it like um, end of a prescription drug commercial. Thank you so much to wikipedia.com, storymaps.arcgis, oh fuck I can't I don't know what that word is. storymaps.arcgis.com, stacker.com, gizmodo.com, mentalfloss.com, theconversation.com, lockhaven.edu, thewashingtonpost.com, vox.com, espn, nope. <laughs> eposnow.com, dailymailuk.com, and spendmenot.com, as well as retaildive.com. The whole reason I did either of these episodes was because I wanted to look more into this like infographic-y kind of meme thing that I saw years ago, which basically said, Serial mascots are made to look down at children so that they're more inclined to ask their parents to buy it. So that means like Captain Crunch is looking down, like his eyes are looking down. The Trix rabbit is looking down, his eyes are looking down. And so I saw that and it's uh, from a study in 2014 out of Cornell and forever I believed it. I was like, oh, that's so interesting because I love little, like, I mean, you guys know me by now. I love weird little facts like that. So I was, that's something I like said and talked about and thought I was so cool for knowing. Now it turns out, Donald E. Semenek read this study and thought it was so stupid that he was like, oh, it's a joke because it happened to have come out on April 1st. He's like, oh, it's an April Fool's joke. This man, Donald E. Simonek, is a retired professor of physics at the Lockhaven University of Pennsylvania. So he is so smart and so funny. His paper debunking this article was absolutely brilliant and he rips it to shreds on the basis of a lot of different things but the unrealistic sample size, the fictitious cartoon eye-shaped studies, and the inaccuracy of shelf height importance. He quotes, if the boxes are displayed at the height of the child's eyes there's no reason to have the cartoon character's eyes looking even more downward. They should be drawn forward and most importantly if you literally just google some cartoon serial mascots there are hundreds of different iterations of them looking in every which way. So it turns out that this really has nothing to do with like child psychology. It also, the sample size is from 10 different stores in only New York and Connecticut and only 65 different cereal boxes. So already this, this, theory is thrown out, but the way he does it is so beautiful. So I hope you guys check out his article. But this article really was kind of a an eye opener of being like, oh, I need to not believe everything I hear. So let me let me do a little more digging. That's not the only grocery store like conspiracy type thing that exists. And I really wanted to dive in and kind of find out what else there was, because I've heard a lot of things about grocery stores. As somebody who spends as much time in grocery stores as I do, you you pick up some things. <laughs> you hear rumblings. And so here are a couple of things I learned. This will be a super quick episode, but I just wanted to share some some fun little things that kind of play off of what we learned last week you all remember our friendly little invention from Sylvan Goodman, the shopping cart, these play a part in making us purchase more at the store as well. Just like I told you last week, once there were two baskets that were able to be put on there, you're buying twice as much stuff usually. But what we may not notice is that carts are getting bigger and bigger, allowing us to feel like we're not really getting that much stuff. Like when you put a slice of pizza on a really big plate, it doesn't look like you're eating as much as when you put it on a little small plate. So over the years... These shopping carts have gotten much, much bigger and are having us buy much more stuff. So the next thing on our list is about how holiday items are there as soon as you stop in the store so that you can immediately be thought of, oh, what am I not buying that I forgot? How can I start my shopping trip with something that wasn't even on my list? And this is very, very intentional. I also want to tell you guys, this episode is not at all about trying to like out grocery stores. I love, I literally go to the grocery store like for fun. So this isn't me trying to be like, look at what they're doing to us. But it is important to know the science behind why we might buy certain things or not buy certain things or buy more of one thing. So I just wanted to share that with you. So Let's dive back in. Another thing that's placed at the front of the store is the produce section. So it's in the front of your journey to make you feel good about the less healthy purchases that you might make throughout the rest of the trip. When you start off and you have a bag of oranges and some strawberries and a bunch of broccoli and some lettuce and some herbs, some onion and garlic. Oh my goodness, look at my cut. It's so green and healthy. Oh, I guess a donut couldn't hurt. Oh, I haven't had Oreos in so long, (laughs) which which is how my brain works. But the grocery stores want you to get a lot of produce. Don't be confused. They want you to be purchasing healthy, good items so that you feel good about going to the grocery store. Like one of the things that I learned in this research is the mist that they put on the produce is 1000% aesthetics. It is not because it's good for, it's not cleaning our, our produce. If anything, it's actually causing it to go bad faster, but we are much more likely to buy it because it looks so crisp and fresh and clean. So that's just one of those things. They want us to buy healthy stuff just as much as they want us to buy. They want us to buy period. They're a retailer. They want us to be spending money. And part of the thing that can help us spend money is the scents that come with a grocery store. That's S-C-E-N-T-S, not, you know, nickels and dimes or pence and scribbles. I don't know what are, (laughs) what are, what are like uh, English coins called? You get it. So a lot of the times they're going to place the very highly scented items that they offer in a store at the beginning of your journey as well. So if you've ever noticed when you've walked into a big supermarket, there are three main things that hit you first. The bakery scent, because a lot of these places are making their own baguettes and their own cookies and their own croissants all day. So it smells fantastic. Then there's the produce section hitting you with bright, vivid colors of carrots and broccoli and squash and eggplant and all these beautiful things. And then there's the flower section also in the beginning of the store that is smell and sight. So it's very beautiful. It smells so good. And when we are in an area that smells good, we are often going to purchase more and stay longer. Now, in stores that don't have a bakery or a flower section, they're known kind of Disneyland style to pump these scents in, and it'll kind of make you desire cookies or pie or buying some flowers. Little things like this, little things like this are very interesting to me. You guys, it is time for me to be honest with you. And I'm sure you could tell just by like my general demeanor and vibe, but I am a sample bitch. My mom and I used to go to Costco on Sundays, literally basically just for lunch. We lived, laughed, loved those samples so very much. But samples, like my dad would say, nothing in this world is free, Irene. Nothing in this fucking world comes free, okay? And I said, well, dad, what about free samples? And he told me this, so I knew this before I even read it in my research. But the free sample only gives you a taste of what you might buy, literally. Samples work for two reasons. A, they're kind of like an appetizer, so they're gonna make you hungrier. And B, because when we are given something for free, we feel a sense of obligation to reciprocate and give something back to the person who gave it to us. So subconsciously, we're feeling like, oh, well, they gave me a third of a warm taquito. I have to buy the whole box, you know? So like, it is very, very intentional. And I'm still eating them. (laughs) I'm still getting those taquitos, I'll tell you what. Now, our next thing is a bit of a heavier, heftier chunk of information. So shelf height might not matter in terms of these fake mascot cereal eyeball placements, but it really does matter when you're reaching for items in the store. Companies pay a lot of money to be on these high traffic shelves. We're talking middle, we're talking eye and hand level. Anything too high is going to be less. Anything too low is going to be less. And when I'm talking about less, I'm talking about their slotting fees. And they can get very pricey. A slotting fee is basically how much a company is going to have to pay in order to be on a grocery store's shelves. Now, these slotting fees vary quite a bit depending on what shelf, how high it is, in what section. Like the frozen section is going to be a lot more expensive because it costs a lot more to keep that section up and keep it refrigerated and keep it going. These companies can be paying upwards of $30,000 simply to be placed on a shelf. This doesn't include distribution or marketing or anything like that. And it doesn't include every store under that retailer's name. It could just be a couple dozen stores at a time for that big of a slotting fee. There's a lot of debate around slotting fees. And it seems like both sides have a fair point. On one side, it really does seem like this is pushing out the little guy. If if Irene's Ice Cream is, is a new fledgling company and I'm trying my best to get into grocery stores... I probably don't have $30,000 to literally just go to putting my product on the shelf, not getting it to the store, not manufacturing it, not marketing it, just to having it on the shelf. However, it's really important to remember with this side of the argument that grocery stores are making very little profit. They're one of the lowest profit margins in retail. So they make about 2% profit on the things that they actually sell. Now think of a retailer like Sephora who makes about 50% of a profit on the things that they sell. Obviously they're not the same exact type of company, but it's it's important to note. So a grocery store needs to be watching out for their bottom line as well. And this this goes for you know the Walmarts, the Krogers, and the Targets of the world, and it also goes for smaller grocery stores, country grocery stores because they're making even less. And with 80 to 90% of new products failing, Slotting fees can give the retailer a little bit more room to breathe. So if you remember some of our classic foods from the 90s that are discontinued, we're talking like Skittles gum, easy squeeze, purple ketchup, Hershey's kissables, like all of these things that we remember as a fleeting moment in our lives and in our pantries was not like that for the grocery store. And this isn't me trying to like make a play for one side or the other because both are fair. For me, Hershey's Kissables are a fleeting memory, but for a grocery store who is owned by a family, that might've cost them a lot of money when people weren't buying it and it was on their shelves. So we just have to be aware. It's very tricky to land in a good spot on that. And there is no real set in stone solution for this yet. There are a lot of different options and a lot of different stores do different things. There are things like test stores, where they don't charge slotting fees and they put things out willy-nilly to see who grabs what from where. And then there are private labels, like Costco does not charge a slotting fee, but they have a private label of Kirkland. So their private label is allowing them to cut a lot of the costs that there might be behind slotting something on a shelf. And for some of the stores that don't charge slotting fees, they may negotiate with other fees or lower prices for the general product. So it's just something I really genuinely never thought about and just something to keep in mind when you're when you're reaching for your, you know, Irene's ice cream. Maybe take a look below. Maybe there might be a fun, new, cute little like, oh, I've never heard of McConnell's ice cream before. Well, McConnell's ice cream is great. (laughs) Shameless plug for McConnell's ice cream. While I'm trying so desperately not to, like, say specific names, shout out McConnell's. But anyway, just keep that in mind. Okay, on to the next thing. (laughs) Now, store layout is of the utmost importance. Have you ever noticed that the real necessities are at the back of the store? And on top of that, they're not even close together. You will never find milk and eggs in the same area. You will never find bread and meat very close to each other. This is so that you have to walk around through basically the whole store to get everything that you need. So you're walking through the baking aisle and the cereal aisle before you hit the milk. And you're walking through the chips and the cookies and the crackers before you get to the bread. Just these little tiny things that I really never noticed. And then doing this, I was like, wow, I am always being sold to. (laughs) Please keep in mind that this is also about American grocery stores. This is what I have my knowledge in. This is what I was researching. I know that in Europe and Russia and Africa, and uh, there are different types of grocery stores everywhere. I'm talking about the ones that I am most familiar with. So here's another thing. Stores will usually try to keep everything really well stocked. And I know that I really love the way that like a freshly restocked aisle looks like it's so clean and so pretty and so like aesthetically pleasing. But they also do this so that there's less likelihood you're going to set something down that you've already picked up because there's no place to put it and you don't want to be rude. Isn't that so interesting? Okay, next one. The music may also change throughout the day. I don't know if you vibe out on some market tunes, but I sure do. I'm not immune to Fight Song by Rachel Platten. I'm not immune to A-Team by Ed Sheeran playing faster music during the busier times kind of imparts this sense of urgency, like, oh, I got to get my stuff. I got to come in. I got to come out. I got to be done. And then they play like slower, chiller music when it's not as busy and they're not trying to like get as many people in as they can. This is so interesting to me, dude. Please let me know in the reviews if you're finding this as fascinating as I am, because I truly can't get over this kind of stuff. Now, Here's where we liken grocery stores to casinos. Now, some of you, I can already tell your brains are already spinning and you're thinking grocery stores and casinos, what? They only have one entrance and one exit. They have very few clocks, if any. They have zero windows and they have light that stays the same no matter if it's two in the morning or two in the afternoon. They don't really want you to know what time it is or how long you've been there. It is a time suck for sure. Keep that in mind. Now, another place where grocery stores make a lot of money selling eight times faster than when they're just on regular shelves is the end cap, which is the end piece of an aisle. If you think of somewhere like Target, this is where you're always going to find your clearance items, your candies, your candles, little things that you think somebody might normally just walk past. They're put on end caps for a very particular reason. And this is a very lucrative part of the store. So next time you're walking, you know, between aisle eight and nine, take a look. It's in a book. Reading Rainbow, that bitch. What's on the end cap? For some reason, Mission Tortillas always has an end cap at my local Ralph's. And I'm like, now that I know more about this, I'm like, Tim, you must be paying money because it is just a full ass end cap of tortillas. Okay. We are going to end this episode with just a couple of fun facts that I wanted to share with you because I got a kick out of them. Number one, Saturday is the biggest day for grocery shopping. Number two, people tend to spend $40 more when they do their grocery shopping online. Number three, women are more likely to be the ones doing the grocery shopping in a multi-person household. They're also more likely to do genuine grocery shopping than men in general. 69% of women make a grocery list beforehand compared to 52% of men who make one. And last but not least, there are over 42,000 grocery stores in the United States. Oh my goodness. I hope that you guys got as big of a kick out of these as I did. I truly don't think I'm ever going to go to a grocery store without thinking of some of these again. Please let me know what you thought was the most interesting and... I cannot wait to take a bite out of history with you again next week. Thanks for coming back for our first ever part two. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.